We have it about an hour time. Is that that's okay with you guys? Did you have any plans? Like you have to. Yeah, I want to have. have I want to have dessert. Ah, that's good. Take <laughs> <laughs> away. So you have five minutes. <laughs> yeah, okay. I have five. It depends on what kind of dessert you're having. I'm super excited to speak to you both, actually. And uh, I've never had a podcast interview so far where I get to talk to both a conductor and both musician from an orchestra. Actually, it's um, the first time, I think, for this podcast, this format. And it's going to be interesting for the listener also to see two perspectives on the same music. What have you been working on today? And uh, Mostly playing the right notes at the right time and not too loud. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and what kind of music is it? So we will play Siegfried by Richard Wagner, which is the third part, I'm not going to say opera because it's not, mm-hmm. in the greatest, biggest, most important work in the history of art. Der Ring des Nebelungen by Wagner. The four-part festival stage play, as he called it, Bühnenfestspiel, or Gesamtkunstwerk, kind of holistic artwork composed for 26 years, from 1848 till 1874. It goes on for 15 hours, and it consists of four parts, uh, and this is the third, Siegfried. And uh, am I helping? Yes, you are. (laughs) It's very helpful. When the last time we spoke, Siegfried was very important for you mm-hmm. in the time you were coming up as a conductor. Can you just talk about the relevance of Siegfried to you? Yeah, so to recap this, I was 11 when I had been playing the piano for like a few years mm. and didn't know much and was discovering music. And then I found this clip on YouTube of the very ending of Siegfried, the final duet between Siegfried and Brunhilde. And that was my first time hearing Wagner, actually, and that turned my life around. Uh, it sounds like a cliche, but it's actually what happened. And that was the starting point for everything for me. I went nuts on Wagner and everything became Wagner for me. And then that's also how I got the initial idea of wanting to try conducting someday. Is it a bit strange or not to perform only one of the parts of the whole stage play? Well, I don't find it that strange. People who will come and listen. I, I, I hope they are very familiar with the events of Rheingold and Valkyr. It's still an individual work. It's a fairy tale, really. It focuses on one character, only Siegfried, and he doesn't know anything. So it's kind of from his perspective. And that's why the first two acts are sort of isolated, because he literally doesn't know a thing. And that's why also the audience is a little bit in the dark for the first two acts. Then in the third act, we kind of get back to the grand calculus of the ring. I mean, at least it's long enough, so I don't think anyone will be waiting for any more music uh, <laughs> before or after this. And you're doing the whole thing? Yes, no cuts. We, The podcast listeners already know a little bit about Tarnamon, but we haven't had the chance to talk to you. Maybe you can introduce yourself. Sure, I'm Georg Sarkisen. I'm working uh, for past seven years in this orchestra as a concertmaster. And, uh, well, coming straight down to Wagner, uh, my first time I heard that name was actually from my mom. She started playing an orchestra long years ago, <laughs> before I came to this world. It was uh, 48 years ago. So she was uh, for 47 years played in orchestra. And first time I heard Wagner was at home 
when she actually came home, started practicing and said, ah, sorry, this week I have Wagner. I don't have any time for you. <laughs> so from the very childhood, I knew that Wagner is something you should avoid as an orchestra <laughs> musician. Well, and there comes the um, uh, contrary moment, you know, hearing the name, oh, we have Wagner, whatever from Wagner on the program, you feel like, okay, it's going to be difficult. But at the same time, you just can't disrespect that huge genius uh, that music. Not only the ideas, just the masterpiece of writing the music. His composition is like a great chess player. He never leaves any figure unattended. Um, all the time I'm involved as, a, as an orchestra musician. Surprisingly, violins uh, have their books not so thick as usually, you know, the violins, are, almost by any composer, they have the most pages. And this feels not to be the case in Wagner. I feel like the bass section, violas, cello, they have much more to play because he always goes for these dark colors. Yeah, so he was intelligent to, to uh, let you rest as well. Well, I can call this rest because you're always involved. <laughs> you have to follow the material. You have to... These few notes, even if the passages contains only few notes, you have to bring them thoughtful in. This still has to, to be good. Yeah. Like in many operas, it's uh, only a harmony by other composers. You just put few notes just to make singer continue in the right tonality or just <laughs> to give some music underneath. In the case with Wagner pieces, it's just not meaningless. It's always really important, every, every small thing. And, you know, orchestra musicians always complain about the difficulty of some passages and about the necessity of make a deal with your conscience. <laughs> How much quality are you going to possibly deliver? Yeah. So I'm talking now on the, about the technical stuff. Yeah. Especially this time, uh, coming back to Siegfried, I discovered how genius he is adjusting music to the language, which I often miss. Uh, just a few years ago, I tried to make a step in the world of the pop music and play rock music on violin and go with some popular groups somewhere. And uh, it was actually the first time I thought, well, you can, most composers adjust text to the music because they have some genius music idea. And Wagner, to my feeling, he does the opposite. He bends the music in all possible ways to make it support the text, support the right structure of the language. And German language is not an easy one. Yeah, and it is just the most inventive German language you can have. Yeah, absolutely. So all the difficulties from the language, they come over to the instrument. Yes, and with Wagner, the marriage of the text and music is without any comparison. It's, we can talk about that more. <laughs> Well, Wagner was the only great opera composer he, who also wrote his own texts. The word opera is Italian, of course. And uh, in operas, you, you have the libretto, which is the text written by, by someone else, the librettist. And then the composer just composes the music. Uh, this is the case with everyone else. But Wagner always wrote his own text as well. And he didn't call it the libretto because he wrote in German. He called it the Dichtung, the poem. And he didn't even think of himself mostly as a composer. I mean, we, of course, think when we hear the name Wagner, we think, oh yes, the composer. But he thought he was, you know, everything else. He, he thought he was a poet, a philosopher, a dramaturge, a general genius, and everything but a musician. <laughs> right. That was just, you know, one of the art forms he was involved with. And uh, he called his first operas operas. Then he wrote his, because he wrote so much prose, he published a lot of essays. And then before starting to write The Ring, he wrote his most important essay called Oper und Drama. And then he declared, from now on, I shall 
no longer write operas, but now my works shall be called dramas. And uh, then he coined the word Gesamtkunstwerk for this kind of all-encompassing artwork. Right. And uh, Tristan und Isolde, for example, which was composed between the second and third act of Siegfried. Interestingly, we can talk more about that. That is subtitled Handlung, which is uh, German for action, which is uh, ironic because there is no action. And it is the direct translation of the Greek word drama. Hmm. So it's all of this sort of philosophy. But yes, he wrote his own texts. And for him, everything was filled with this kind of weird thoughts and kind of shady philosophies. The text was the masculine element and the music was the feminine element. Hmm. So kind of in this sense, uh, he fulfilled himself the infantile wish the fantasy of being both parents to your child. <laughs> um, so in, in his case, and this is, we have to remember, this is all before Freud. And uh, one of Freud's uh, students, Georg Rodek, called The Ring the first manual of psychoanalysis. And it's really there. It's all, it's all there. So in Wagner's case, if he would have written music to someone else's text, his music would have been the feminine element. So then that for him, that would be in a sort of a homoerotic thing. <laughs> yes. I know it's weird. But this is how Wagner thought. <laughs> yeah. So he's looking for balance. Yes. And narcissism. Just returning to the fact that he mostly dealt with um, music that's performed on stage. Uh, he's not that interested in writing purely instrumental music, right? There's like barely anything mm. surviving that's purely instrumental, right? There's the Siegfried Idyll. Yeah. Nothing else really worth playing. And Siegfried Idyll, obviously, it's based on music from this piece. Yeah. And I think at Wikipedia at least counts one string quartet and maybe one symphony in C major or something like yeah, that. Symphony in C major is is written by a five-year-old. I mean, yeah. It's, and it sounds like bad Beethoven. So, so these are early things. Yeah. yeah. Then interestingly, uh, apart from Siegfried, the, the one work which, which is not operatic is the Wesendonklieder. Hmm. which is then based on music from Tristan und Isolde. And those songs, they're not written by him. Those are written by Mathilde Wesendonck, the wife of a supporter, of a sponsor of his, with whom he was in love with. That was something he always did. But that was the one time he wrote music to someone else's text. So that was a big exception. What does the music of Wagner do to you? How do you feel right after the curtains are closed and the job is done. What changes in you, if anything? <coughs> tired, <laughs> hungry. <coughs> tired, there should be uh, the, f you know, this first shot of beer afterwards, then the job is done. Yeah. It's difficult, it's very demanding. The concentration, the material is just difficult to play. As an orchestra musician, you don't have much time to think about the philosophy at that moment. You can think <laughs> afterwards or before. <laughs> While performing, you have lots of things to do. Uh, but for example, this week I in encountered something I would like to share with you. And it's a thought that with the most composers, you should know how to perform their style. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know, go back to Mozart, you should know what the articulation is, how to handle the phrases. So it sounds like Mozart should. Or Beethoven, what is the sound you should produce to um, just stay in style. In the case of Wagner, even if you're absolutely out of this idea, you just can't do anything wrong. Just play this music, play this material, and it's like, I would say, the idiot proof. The 
orchestra, if this orchestra is just able to play this level of difficulty, the material, just the pure material, the music, yeah, it could be uh, maybe if the orchestra doesn't succeed much in that, it would be a little bit maybe less colored or have less dynamic differences or less support the singers, or some, you know, some small technical faults. But you would be never wrong with the whole style. It's out of your control, that music. You are only a mechan mechanical performer in that. Sure, the sound. Yeah, I don't know, I can talk, uh, being as a string player, I can talk what are the Wagner tubas and horns and what is uh, their approach. I mean, they have to shape this uh, nice, colorful, sometimes something, some dangerous sound, or they have to create this character. But it's a surprising moment. You just can't do anything wrong to this music. Yeah. Well, the, the main problem is that it's always too loud. <laughs> yeah. And I understand what you mean. It's just practically so hard because it's, well, it's technically difficult, especially for violence. And then because they're so long. So, I mean, it's just rehearsing it is... I mean, now we've been rehearsing this for over a week now. I mean, that's a luxury. I mean, in, in German opera houses, you'd, you know, play it once through and then meet you in the concert. I mean, you can you can imagine, does it kind of sound especially good in those kind of circumstances? It's kind of a utopia. It doesn't really... <sighs> How often... Is anyone really satisfied with the performance of Wagner in a very strict sense? Because it's so difficult and so long and, and no time to rehearse. But it's not as idiot-proof as Richard Strauss, though, when it comes to orchestration, for example. Yeah, thinking about dynamics. But it's, uh, you know, it's complicated German engineering, this music. You have mm -hmm. to know what's what's important and what's not yeah and you have to know what's going on behind the corner like you should know what's in the next bar so there comes the difficulty the having four hours almost four hours of pure music it's just a little bit difficult to memorize it a little bit yes and and of course you should not give too much of yourself too much energy in the first two acts so that you have something left for the third <laughs> yeah maybe you should tell the the story of the construction of the piece about that huge break within yes and the difference which came in afterwards right so wagner started writing the music of the ring in the early 1850s and he wrote rangold and valkyrie that's already six and a half hours of music and the first two acts of siegfried really relatively quickly and developed a lot i mean if you compare the second act of siegfried to to rangold i mean there's a huge difference in music even though it's not many years in between uh, then by 1857 he was short of money as he always was he knew he couldn't really complete the whole thing i mean he had still one drama to write um, and he needed some pocket money and he had always more ideas. I mean, we know of many unfinished projects he had, uh, what he wanted to do, but which never happened. You know, the Wagner works we play, there's only 10 of them. So after finishing the second act of Siegfried, he wrote to list his uh, future father-in-law, one of his best friends. By that time, he was still not married or in love with Liszt's daughter that happened later <laughs> that now i have left my young siegfried in the forest underneath the tree and there he can rest in peace and now it's time for me to do something else he 
wanted to compose a little piece, little chamber opera for a small ensemble, small cast, small orchestra, and a short one, not loud, which, which could be performed in a small baroque theater in München. That was Tristan and Isolde. He wrote that in two years very quickly. And he thought, oh, I, I should get this performed very quickly. I, I need some pocket money and something. Okay, then they went on to rehearse Tristan in Wien. They had like, what was it? Like over the 150 rehearsals. And then they told him, no, we can't play this. It's not possible. <laughs> it's not going to happen. So that took another six years before he got Tristan performed. And then he wrote another little piece, Die Meistersinger von Nürnberg, which is the longest of them all. It's, you know, over four and a half hours long. And after 12 years and two little pieces of music, then he came back to Siegfried to the third act. And during the second interval of Siegfried, there's 12 years of Wagner's life. And you can hear that. You really can. The music is different. It's much more complex. It's much richer. It's harmonically much interesting. There's the chromaticism of of Tristan there, you can feel that there's the diatonicism and complex counterpoint of Meistersinger, and there's just a more masterful handling of uh, leitmotifs in the third act. It's all there, and it's much louder also, so that's one problem. But there's 12 years, and you can feel that, and for me, the third act is, is really the essence of the whole piece. So I try not to give much at all in the first two acts to say really for the third, because that's that's really what it is. We, ha we have two little appetizers that takes two hours and 40 minutes of music but then we have a big steak <laughs> and it's really tasty and juicy yeah by that moment consider sitting on the stage for longer than three hours yeah so you can imagine what this is a task for musician now to put the, the head back together and go on with that said is this philosophy also shared with all of the musicians are they all aware of this um this idea of the appetizers in the steak <laughs> that, that, that i just came up with <laughs> um i yeah i don't know how many vegetarians there are in the orchestra yeah i've tried to tell the musicians some things i don't want to speak too much because musicians hate that so <laughs> i reserve the speaking for podcasts i'm trying to kind of make it very clear how important the third act is yeah and I've also tried to explain how the first two acts are not really that important. <laughs> it sounds weird when I say it, but I'm actually really serious. They're not that spectacular <laughs> in a way. But part of the experience is seeing the transformation in yeah. the in the way he handles music, right? Because mm -hmm. if you would just play the third act in on its own, there is no more the contrast, right? Mm. Maybe that's the interesting part. Yeah, it is. Does Wagner as a person influence the way you play his music? Well, I've been to the castle he lived. I found that kitchen spectacular. So <laughs> <laughs> once you talked about the steak... In Bayreuth? No, I mean the... Uh, what it's called? Neuschwanstein. Yeah. I mean, he didn't really live there. I mean, that was built by the king of Bavaria. Ludwig did Zweite. Yeah, yeah. So I took that excursion to the castle. It it looks like unfinished inside <laughs> and outside also a little bit like a little bit weird. But um, well, you know, you you are trying to guess what is he like person mm -hmm. because there are some uh, the music is really serious. It's it's a fairy tale on one side. On another side, there it's it's drama. It's 
huge, it's serious, it's talking about very high and fine philosophy. And then yet there are some jokes inside, in the text, in the, uh, also some musical jokes, some funny moments that uh, oh boy, small oh boy solo is just fantastic. I wish I could play like that and uh, remain unpunished for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the English horn solo in the second act, which is supposed to be really bad. Sometimes you come back and sing that he's a very different person. I can describe him. I mean, maybe someone who studied his life and uh, his work would, would tell more. <sighs> I'm, I'm done with the music already. That's already enough, mm -hmm. you know, to deal with him th through the music. I just uh, was thinking the language that high standard, the difficulty of the language he uses. It's a little bit pity that uh, we're playing in Latvia now and not everyone speaks German here. So the text the singers actually sing is not addicting musicians enough. If you would fluently speak German, it would take more of your attention and then maybe perhaps change the way you play. Do you speak German? Yes, I do. And I, I speak well enough to understand everything. So you can follow along? I can follow everything, yes. Only if I'm playing too loud and don't hear the singer. <laughs> so this is... <laughs> yes, that, especially in a third act. Maybe some of the listeners know I, most of the time I live in Germany, I work in German orchestras, so there are these people in every orchestra, in every good orchestra, who go to Bayreuth almost every summer. Or, and they are kind of small Wagner specialists. They know the repertoire, they played all the pieces, and naturally coming always back and playing these pieces again and again, they discover more and more. So actually we are doing now a very tricky show. The orchestra, which is usually not playing in the opera, we are symphony orchestra, we are learning that from the scratch. So on the other hand, we should repeat it next summer. It will become better. And I think these German native speakers, they have a little bit more fun playing this music because they just musically know what to put in, how to adjust your playing uh, to this text. Yes. Anyways, you would be more involved in the music if you understand the meaning and you can follow along. Yeah. I, as a performer myself, I can completely agree with that. Every time I perform music, especially when the music is performed in my native tongue, I become a better musician almost instantly. Sure. By the way, there are um, um, such things like Wagner singers. So the special ones who are used to sing the repertoire who have a proper voice for that. It's yeah. a huge task for them. Yeah. The handling of the language, it's, it's unbelievably creative. If one could just, you know, read the text and really look at the words he has put together, it's so fresh and weird. And I mean, some people find it stupid. I mean, there are many German native speakers who think he was not that good a writer. <laughs> um, and the, even more so in Tristan, I mean, there he completely creates words. I mean, he makes up things that don't really exist and, and uh, I, I, I just find it fantastic. For example, Mühe ohne Zweck. That mm -hmm. sounds, it's already music. Mm -hmm. It's not just the words itself. Uh, he, he puts all the, he looks for the words which sounds great together. I want to redirect the question again to you about Wagner's personality and him as a person. Does that influence the way you interpret the music? Well, you know, for me personally, Wagner's really everything. It's always been kind of a cliche, almost a joke, that that's just what I am, a Wagnerian. Mm -hmm. um, for me, everything starts and ends with Wagner. To quote people much wiser than me, for example, it is said that there has been more literature written about Richard Wagner than anyone else, say, for Jesus Christ. That's what they say. Uh, that tells something. 
it's un- quite unbelievable. I mean, not only is he by far the most written about composer, but also artist. There's something about this guy <laughs> and it's almost impossible to understand what is it really? What is it? Thomas Mann said, Probably the greatest talent in the entire history of art. Winston Hugh Auden said, Perhaps the greatest genius that ever lived. Friedrich Nietzsche said, A volcanic eruption of the total undivided artistic capacity of nature itself. Nietzsche was kind of a disciple of Wagner at first. He was younger and he even lived with Wagner for a while and and he was taken good care of by even Cosima, who was also a horrible human being. Uh, But then after Parsifal and so, then Nietzsche um, turned against Wagner. C.S. Lewis, great British author, said that the very shape of the printed letters of his name had become to me a magical symbol. (laughs) Okay, I'll stop now. The point is, there was never anyone like Wagner and there never will. It's a drug. There's no music like it. It's a cult. I mean, we have a festival every summer in his home for the um, his last year's Bayreuth, which he built himself, the house. And crazy people go there every year. And, uh, you know, Muslims go to Mecca, I go to Bayreuth. <laughs> <laughs> and there's, there's no other composer like that. Um, and it's, it goes into both directions. I mean, there are these people like me who go completely crazy about it. And then there are the people who go completely crazy about it um, in the different direction, who find it completely repelling and gross and disgusting. And I think the reaction is the same, but people just interpret it in a different way. I know some people, as you say, can be very repelled by his music. Some of it might do with his character, right? Some of it might do with the way his music is connected to certain ideologies. No, I have to say his music is not connected to any ideology. Well, I mean, some ideology wants to latch on to the music. That's a very different thing. It is, but um, see, the fine details can be certainly lost within the masses. This is not necessarily connected to Wagner only, but I want to ask you sincerely, do you think the artist can be separated from the art? Must be must be um if we start judging people i mean who are we left with we're all sinners after all can we say which of the great composers has been a wonderful person <laughs> does that matter debussy perhaps <laughs> i don't know i don't oh, care maybe not. well there is a you have to think about the moment being creative is th- taking something from your subconscious something you don't control. You can feed your subconscious by the experience you have in your life. So there is a little influence on this. But at the end, with a gift given to you by nature, or by God, or by, by whomever, if you are a composer or writer or, I don't know, producer or whatever, musician, you are just taking from your subconscious and uh, projecting this through your skills, a man-crafted skills, yeah? So it has almost nothing to do with what you do in your life. So if someone tries to judge an artist by what he's doing in the life, you are judging a man or a woman, yeah? You are judging someone by the actions, but you are just uh, not touching the art this person produced. Well, one, one could say, for example, 
I've heard many times, yes, but this composer, he's a nasty guy, you know, he composes a piece and sleeps on the note, and if you want to perform it, then he comes and asks for money. Yes, this is what uh, this person does in his life, but it doesn't, uh, has nothing to do with the music this person composed, because it came from the area which is out of control. Mm -hmm. for this particular person. So this is why we are addicted to music, especially to music, which is a language which speaks directly to the areas in your mind which are inaccessible other ways. I'm not Sigmund Freud or not a <laughs> psychical, yeah, whatever. But being a musician, for example, uh, taking lessons, being as a student, I was, I was teach to play this, that and that in a certain way, kind of imitate. You know, I'm standing there playing Beethoven sonata, for example, and I'm being told the sound has to go this way and the articulation this way because this is a tradition and so on. But if everybody uh, would just live with that, then we will be all the same. Now something comes into the game which comes from your subconscious, from your nature, from your being, you know. So also, you know, living today in this political situation when we start uh, dividing composers pro and contra and whatever, I'm not going to play these guys because I don't like his ideas. I don't know, this is not right. Except the piece, maybe, some cases when the piece is really written about some event. So when the piece is political by itself, okay, then you could uh, take a step back and say, well, I'm not performing this or I'm performing this for a particular reason, whatever. Right. But most of the time art come from, from the sky. Mm -hmm. hmm. uh, to quote Gustav Mahler, the greatest of prophets, you know, um, he said, One does not compose, but one is composed. Mm -hmm. I want to believe that art should be separated from the artist, but uh, it's not always that I can agree with that. I find that some, some artists, when they cross a certain line on an ethical basis, it changes my reaction to the music I hear. It makes me think of them and it makes me hear the music in a light where I don't want to relate to it at all. And maybe this is not, this is not the case with necessarily Wagner, but this is maybe more connected to, let's say, Kanye West, <laughs> um, and who is known to have very uh, crazy episodes and, and, and that crossed the line for me and I cannot listen to the music anymore, even though I was a huge fan when I was growing up. Have you experienced something like that? A change of heart in listening to somebody's music? Not that I can think of. No. Usually if I have a feeling that we are talking, speaking of a particular composer, we are talking more about his or her actions mm -hmm. in the life than the music itself is just not so not good enough. Yeah. Maybe. So it just uh, leads you somewhere else. And I mean, uh, one of the examples was like uh, Michael Jackson's uh, who got uh, very serious accusations of uh, his... Uh, personal sexual life and there are people which try to hear certain motives in every song and just see everything through this not very nice position but um, still uh, still these songs have something great inside right but I'm, I mean I don't uh, want anyone to force if you don't like and you would like to avoid do it yeah not a problem as long as this person doesn't take my freedom and clearly I shouldn't support child abuse by any way. That's, that's clear. Yeah. I shouldn't say, because that music is great, we should tolerate this. No. I want to ask you um, 
Is it any different for you when you're preparing for a concert of this certain magnitude? What changes or if anything changes in the process for when you're preparing, maybe in, even in a day off? Day off, I'll probably drink coffee. <laughs> I usually don't. Otherwise, no. There's just so much of it that I need to, you know, take more time to learn it. But that's um, that's not really different per se. Of course, with my v Wagnerism, then it involves, you know, reading literature written about him, but I do that anyway. So it's kind of, for me, it's just a kind of way of life. Yeah. No, I can't really say that this would be much different from uh, other things I do. And what about you? Well, it's not a day of the concert it's a night before the concert you should sleep well yeah you just can't be perfect we are like our artists are like sports yeah just uh, your body is so much involved so there is also the physical culture by the way for example winds uh, wind players uh, they suffer a little bit more they have to save themselves just because lips will be unable to to play right uh, we have this problem less in a string section Right. Usually strings can just handle more, last longer, let's say. But, well, you, you have to keep in mind that uh, there is a huge task coming on you. But uh, you could compare, if comparing with sports, like uh, Olympic Games and regular games. You would prepare for regular games as well as for Olympics, just Olympics will take more space in your life. Yeah. And it's more like this is the moment. Yeah. But on the other hand, uh, the modern musicians, we play Wagner today and tomorrow we'll go over and play, I don't know, Bruckner or Penderecki or whatever. Yeah, so we are confronted every day with new new material, with different... We have 500 years of classical music behind us. Mm -hmm. Wagner had only 300, let's say. <laughs> so I would be curious, uh, what would happen if a person of his greatness would live today? What uh, would he, he come he, up with? He, he would be a film director. Maybe. You think so? Yes. Why do you think so? Because that was the one art form he was missing. He wouldn't need to live today i mean he would have needed to live just a few decades later and cinema had been invented in his time because he he thought he had everything he had music and literature and poetry and theater and and you name it staging and and painting and and did he paint no, no I, i'm i'm referring to to stagings right um painted by someone else Yes, but he was missing film. <laughs> he tried to be a general constructor <laughs> by his idea. Yeah, he was also a genius uh, acoustician and architect. <laughs> At this Neunschweinstein, I was told that uh, all these lifts coming from the kitchen up into the bedroom and all that quite modern stuff to these days, that it was all his idea. Yeah, it's massive. You should use the opportunity uh, to go to Neunschweinstein if it happens to be in this yeah, it's area. Like a, it's like a Disney castle. Yeah. Absolutely. Mm. All right. I think I ran out of questions. <laughs>